As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. You're listening to Why Always Us. This is your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is not Sam Lee. He's away and he'll be back next week. In the meantime, we've pulled off a little bit of a masterstroke of a loan signing. It's former City defender Nedim Manua. Hi, Nedim. Hey, man. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. Thanks for uh, for hopping on at, uh, at short notice as it's well. An, it's, and, uh, it's an honour. It's an honour filling in for Sam Lee. It's an honour. If he's lazy enough to take a holiday during the season, then <laughs> you know he can't complain, I think, if we get the best of the best to replace him. It's as simple well, as that. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that yeah, all day long. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if you sign up to The Athletic right now, you can read all of Sam's stuff on City when he's back, obviously. Uh, and if you sign up now, you'll get 33% off the price of a full subscription. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod. Uh, now, Nedham, after a pretty routine City win over the weekend with not a whole lot of talking points, I thought we could do something a little bit different on this week's show. Um, there's lots of views among City fans about how City are treated in the media. And I think you've got quite a unique perspective on the relationship between the club, the fans, the players, the press, all that sort of stuff um so this week i'd quite like to tap into all of that um and i want to do it i mean like let's start by going back to to 2008 you're you're playing for city and the takeover's just happened um did you notice at that point that the media focus on city suddenly became a lot more intense when you know from the dressing room outwards um yeah yeah 100 like i was um i was just thinking back to that time and I don't know if you you remember this as well, but do you remember ever seeing any like pictures or stories about bus stops and stuff like that? Did you do you remember seeing uh, any pictures about bus stops? Bus stops between like players, managers, stuff like that. Oh, bus stops! Sorry, yeah, I thought you said bus stops. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say like no, that. No, 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 like, one nine two. No, no, not quite. One nine two doesn't take you up there anyway. But yeah, yeah bus stops. Yeah. Do you remember seeing any pictures or anything like say Colo and Adebayor, people like that? Do you remember no. any of those? No, nothing like that. I I, I remember speaking to uh, Danny Taylor a few years ago about the he was covering City um, in kind of like the late nineties, early noughties. Um, and I remember him basically saying he had a, he had a fight on his hands to just get City like into the back pages, mm. and I, I just don't, I can't remember any stories other than um, I mean it was it was always Joey Barton in the years yeah, before exactly, yeah. before then. Other than exactly. that, it was that, that there was nothing going on. Yeah, that, yeah, that's 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 probably a good way to describe it. Like in, when I first started in two thousand and four, you'd argue there was nothing going on, and that's because. For City, we didn't really have any real significant standing in the Premier League. Like people understood our history and so on, 
but it's not like we were the most respected team in the Premiership because we just, we had never really done well in it um, overall. Anyway, but after the takeover, the reason I was asking about the uh, pictures and stuff of bust ups is because I had a flashback to remember seeing like photographers, paparazzi, and stuff in the trees outside the training ground, <laughs> and they were literally turning up all the time. And then every time there was like a slight story of something negative there they would always be there they'd be there waiting as you're taking the bend around um i forget what the lane's called just near carrington and it's the same like you're out on the training pitch and they're literally climbing in trees to take pictures of the session and the reason they're doing that is because there was um we had to put like a protective thing all the way around the the pitches so that we could just try and just train in peace but it made no difference to them so that level of scrutiny kind of shows a lot because from that point like most clubs don't have that. You might hear of a bus stop, but you don't see a, you don't see a bus stop. But there were times like there's, you, there are pictures of Mario and Mancini, Colo and Adebayor, and I think I think a few others as well. But bearing in mind that we had one of the biggest ones in sort of City's history happen earlier with Joey Barton. Like there are no pictures of that. You know what I mean? There are no yeah. witnesses that said this happened and that happened. But yeah, things definitely change. And I think, um, uh, well, I think it changed because. People immediately said, we are the richest club in the world, yeah. People from the outside, you're the richest club in the world. You now have to play up to those standards. But they didn't take City seriously at that point because they hadn't done throughout most of their lifetimes. So they didn't take City seriously and they put more eyes on them and raised the bar to a point which was clearly not going to be reached straight away. So every time they didn't hit it or we didn't hit it, we got the full brunt of the criticism and it felt like at the start, people more wanted us to fail as opposed to see what it would look like going further down the line. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, they think, well, this why wasn't that us? Why has it happened to them? They don't deserve this and so on and so forth. So there was an incredible amount of scrutiny that fell upon us from that point. And, you know, as a club and as a collective in terms of players and staff and stuff, you know, we weren't the finished deal. We were a long way away from that at that point. Like we had a good UEFA Cup run, but I think we finished 10th in the league that year. And for everybody else, you know, considering the riches that we now had, you know, we were we were failures, and I think they quite enjoyed in reveling in the story of the team, which had money, which wasn't successful, because they had their original superpowers in play with the old historical teams. And yeah, City, how dare City? Laugh, yeah. Could, yeah, how can City challenge them? You know, how dare they? But you know, obviously the tones changed just a little bit over the years. You could say. Yeah, well, when you when you think back to the the time before that, I mean, you you made your debut in two thousand and four, so you you're kind of graduating from the academy in the years, like kind of in the run up to that. Um, we were you told as a, as a as a young player kind of how to deal with the media and and how to how to speak to them was the, was the media training back then um there were there were levels of media training i think we did a few things in the academy but it was never that serious but i think the the key to it like in speaking to hugh ferris i think um whoever was in charge of media at the time for city they would pick and choose like who the youngsters would go and speak to and it tended to be more softball type things. So you would have a level of engagement, but it wouldn't be, say, the ferocity of speaking after losing 3-0 in a game at home when you should have won or something like that. So the training, even though it was unofficial, it was more a case of getting you used to going out and speaking to people who you don't know and seeing the consequences of what you say going out there without it being too detrimental. So I think you sort of picked up from that side, but it was always a case of the more serious moments in football were left to the more experienced players. Yeah. who are good at sort of firefighting instead of thinking, you know, they can just be extremely honest because that's the sad thing about being a player. Like you can never be fully honest in sort of real severe situations because that's not what the club wants. That's not really what the league wants. And they want to be able to continue, you know, they want the status quo. They don't want you to be outspoken and stuff like that. And to be honest, most of the players don't want you to do that either. So 
I think the training came from doing smaller softball type things at the start and in time, you know, if you were doing well enough, then you'd be pushed forward to deal with other types of situations. Yeah. So when, when you made, when, when you started to become a first team regular and you, you played in the first team in the years that, that come after, like we talked about there not being much, much focus on City. Did you, I mean, did you ever have any interaction with, with the press that wasn't a post-match interview in front of the cameras, maybe once or twice a season for something like match of the day? Um, not quite match of the day. No, because like, if, I'm, I'm still, I still, I consider myself quite young. I'm 34 years of age. <laughs> football's changed. Football and life has changed a lot from when I first started in 2004, from the social media standpoint to the 24 hour news standpoint to the so whole football media world now, because you could do some media now, which is, doesn't appear on TV and it's bigger than the impact of having it on TV. But from back then, like the TV was the pinnacle, wasn't it? Yeah. Cause that's where you were going to be visible. Cause when I was coming through, in terms of Manchester and us at City, the big thing was the MEN. You know, what's your coverage like in the MEN? Are you going to be appearing as a like a special piece in the MEN? You know, the, the other national type things, they didn't really care about City. They cared about, you know, the traditional giants and so on. So for us, it was it was all down to the locals, essentially. So um, it was like them and radio and stuff. We're talking like Key 103 days, that type of thing. Oh, yes. So, exactly. <laughs> so, um, no, we didn't really do a ton of big things, it felt like. We just kept it. We just kept it local, and you could appear on local radio, appear in local newspapers, and stuff like that. And that's that felt like everything to you. Because one thing about you know being in Manchester, if you play for City or you play for United, like in when you're out and about in the city, you feel like that is everything. And it still it was very much was the case then, and the eyes yeah. were on you already. So the the national stuff didn't really matter, I guess. How how did that change then after two thousand eight? Was it whirlwind? Was it overnight? And was it suddenly sort of um, you are tripping over kind of reporters wherever you go? Um, do you know it actually started? I think the year before when Sven came in, when Shinawatra, um took over the club, because that was like the it ended up being like a false dawn. But there were more eyes on us because we started off the season playing really well. And we were, you know, in and around like the top four, top six after the first two, three months of the season with the former England manager. So Sven brought that along. So there were more eyes on us and we were getting a bit more coverage. We were being discussed, nation- discussed nationally because I remember there was one game it, when we got battered by Chelsea in that first half of the season. But on the way down, there was a question in like the national newspapers, our city for real. We were talking like match of the day, like, is this going to be the rise of city and so on? And then I'll be honest, it felt like they reveled in the, the result. And they're like, yeah, they're not there yet. But as I say, there were more eyes then. And then as soon as the the magnitude of like this new ownership happened, everybody was like, okay, let's take a look at this. Let's see where they are. And then also to coincide with the thing, we had Robinho in there, who at the time was coming from Real Madrid as one of their best players. So the eyes were immediately going to be upon us, even though essentially the team was who we were being managed by Mark Hughes wearing like baggy Lecoq sportive kits and hopefully trying to go on a tour around Europe in the UEFA Cup for the first proper time in, in a few years. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the thing I always see, and I see it on Twitter a lot of the time because I, unfortunately for me, I live far too much of my life online. <laughs> um, so I, I see it all the time that uh, in the build-up to a big game, it's, uh, you know, City have just had one of the biggest weeks that they'll have of the season. They had, um, you know, the three away games, Chelsea, PSG, Liverpool. And in the run-up to these big games, you get fans accusing, you know, radio stations, newspapers, whoever, some people in in this industry, of trying to knock City, trying to trying to knock City off their off their um, I can't think what the right word was out of their stride. Mm. Um, 
do players notice that? So in the build-up to these, these big games, there might be a lot of intense focus about what City's issues are. I mean, the, the classic one you see all the time is is uh, in in cup games when it's minnows against uh, against the Giants of City. It's yeah. always, how can the minnows beat City? Yeah. Um, do you like do you do you even notice that this happens when you're in the dressing room? Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. Yeah, because like it's the it's the talk. Obviously, I didn't play for this version of City, but I played at a point where the money was there, and there was a sort of hope that we would fail. I think with this City now, like people have spent a long time hoping that they would fail because it goes against the traditional model in their mind and meritocracy and this, that, and the other. But City don't really fail that often. So they're always just like hanging on and they give, they give, they eventually give credit when it's due, but are more than happy to give severe criticism, like over the top criticism when something doesn't go right, even though that's the nature of football itself, because no team wins every single game throughout a season anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think as a player, you can get a feel for who's good and who's bad and people who have a very negative take on you, they tend to be consistent with their negative takes throughout a season. So you'll tend not to tune into anything that they say. You know, you can write someone off as being, as, you know, feeling like they're biased. Yeah, they don't like me. They don't like us. So you'd never really chase down their opinion on any matter whatsoever. But you you will, if you turn on media and this, that, and the other, you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear stuff. You'll get a feel for stuff. Or people just be like asking you questions. It's in the same way, like, say, um, in the Euros in the summer, after Raheem scores in that first game and he scores the winner and someone says, do you feel you justified your place in the team? Like, where's that question come from? You know what I mean? Like, for him, he would have never, training with that team, they wouldn't have been having daily debates amongst themselves like, yeah. does Raheem deserve to be in the team? Because likely it was. He was probably in the team from the first day of training camp. Yeah, but he's like, in, in his head, he's he's um, he's he's worth that place in that team because he's, yeah, not, he's not had the debate for the last six no, months. He's not had the debate. Gareth Southgate hasn't been involved in the debate. The players in the squad haven't been involved in said debate, but people from the outside have created that narrative and that debate. And that sets the tone in terms of people's perceptions of him within that team. But the most important reality there is the reality of the people in the team and in that squad. Because like we're, we can talk all day about what City are doing, Chelsea are doing, Liverpool are doing, England are doing, and so on. But we actually have no clue unless we're there. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, at times, our words and our thoughts get taken in as if they're facts, but they're not facts because we're not there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's just another example of that. So that happens all the time. And you just get you just gotta like, I think as a player, you align yourself with people who you think are fair. Even still you don't listen to them all the time. But if you think anyone's been unfair at any point in the past, there's a likelihood that they'll continue to be just that. So you don't tune into what they're saying unless somebody comes and asks you a question saying, Wow, you guys must be underdogs this weekend because of what you did six weeks ago where you didn't have a shot on target, you know. I, and then you'd be like, "Well, I'll just fob that one off and then move on." Yeah. So, I mean, the, the old the old adage of um, you know they'll they'll pin that report on the dressing room wall. Does that have like has that ever happened? Has the has the has the manager ever come in and said, "Look, this is what they're saying about us. Go out there and prove us prove them wrong." I think that stuff happened more um, in the older version of City. I think there's more modern version now. I think they're they're quite good at knowing that. Firstly, the media world is is a lot wider than it was from back in the day. Like you could be criticized on radio, on TV, online, on social media, like on the streets. There are lots of different, lots of different voices, tons of different voices. Could argue too many different voices. So you can't necessarily pin down one thing because everybody's got a say on it. Whereas from back in the day, like there were people who had the bigger voices who were saying things and maybe that could inspire you or something. But again, for teams like City, I don't think that inspires them. I think the biggest inspiration for them is just winning every single game and every possible competition that 
you know, that, that is available to them because that's how high their standard is. They don't need to listen to someone's opinion on, say, playing a false nine because it, or whatever, because at the end of the day, they're playing and they're winning games. And what a joyous feeling that must be playing and winning games with some of the best players in the world, with one of the best managers in the world and one of the best like stadiums and training grounds in the world. So yeah. like, why, why, why should, I don't know, Paul Merson's opinion on them matter just because he's, like, especially given the fact that, you know, for some of these people that do deliver opinions, with all due respect, like they left the game a long time ago. Like it's an awful long time ago. And if they were to try and come back into it, they'd probably struggle because things have moved on way more than you realize. But then if they then left and said, well, the game's gone, well, maybe the game's not gone. Maybe they've gone in terms of how the game is now. You know, what they saw isn't necessarily what they're going to see from this point forward. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think this this question uh, that I'm going to ask now is probably coming to the wrong person because you're <laughs> genuinely one of the most level-headed people I've ever I, I've, I've ever it. ever spoken to. Um, so I, I don't know if this if if um, if you might have ever reacted to anything like this. But have you ever have you ever had in your career? Did you ever have criticism that you felt was unfair? Um, yeah, I've, I've I've had tons. I've had I've, I've had tons. You know, cri- you, you you perform basically, so you'd be criticised. Yeah, because I, I imagine you you just kind of brush it off. Yeah, I, I brush it off now, but I didn't do it throughout my entire career. Like a time when I didn't was early doors at, when I was at City. And um, like I was of the age where I used to buy into like player ratings and stuff. Like I used to really buy into it. So when I've come off the field and I think I've done well, if I'd read the papers and see that my rating was low, I'd be like, well, why is that low? So it's a one-off. Okay, fine. But then you go and then you start to realize there's a bit of a pattern. And when you think there's a pattern, that's when you think there's a bias. And that's when you get really frustrated with someone. So when I was younger, like it's fine now, but when I was younger, I used to really hate Chris, Bur- Chris Bailey at the MEN. Hated him. <laughs> because I just felt it was being incredibly unfair to me in some of his takes and his opinions. Because like I was playing well in games, but he was, say- he was basically saying that I wasn't. And I felt that at the time, because the MEN was everything, in ter- it felt like in terms of people's judgment of players at City, because they used to judge us in the academy as well and in reserve teams and stuff like that. I felt like you know, what he's saying here is affecting me in a negative manner. Because yeah. most people aren't watching me in a game, but if you say what you say about me, then you know that's what people's take is going to be. And but in time, I like I got over it. Stop caring about ratings because the biggest rating you can have is to be selected for the next game by the manager anyway. But that goes a long way. But you hear that as far as ratings go, you know that's one of those old traditional type things, but serves no purpose because for people that do it, for some people that do it, they give the ratings before the game's finished. And it feel, and I, my biggest grievance was there'd be certain people who could play badly, but it didn't really affect them because it felt like their score started at a seven. So if they played badly, they hit a six. If yeah. they play well, they hit an eight. But for other people, you start at five, and if you play well, you get to a six. If you score a hat trick, you'll get to a seven. 
But if you just have an okay game, then you drop to a four. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what I hated. And that's I, essentially I used to hate. Players. Yeah, I used to hate. I used to have to do player ratings, and I used to hate it because ultimately it's a team game, and yeah. if the team wins, then the team has performed as it should do, and you don't have. I, I don't see the point of rating individual players in in that team setup because. I, I mean, you know me. I'm a goalkeeper. I'm, yeah. I, a goalkeeper keeps a clean sheet. Like Stefan at the weekend kept a clean sheet, but barely had to do anything. He made one good save. Is that going to make mm. him? Is that going to bump him up from a six to a seven because he's not had yeah. anything to do? That's not his fault that he's had nothing to do. But then, but if he has every, a great yeah. game and concedes, then his number goes down. And yeah. It's like, well, yeah. It's it's the weirdest system going, which we still kind of buy into to this day, because at the end of the day, the people go out there doing their jobs. And the jobs that are being asked to do are not the ones which we've set for them, the ones which the manager set for them. Yeah. So the manager is the person who can say whether someone's done well or badly because he set them up to do a certain thing, yet still we're the ones who give casting the judgment on whether someone's played well or not. Yeah. Um, Chris Bailey, uh, thinking about it, joined City before you left. Did you, did, you ever, uh, did, did you ever have a chat about player ratings at that point? Do you know what? I, I completely ignored him for years, like <laughs> literally for years. But lo and behold, actually, I spoke to him this morning, and I'm going to do something for him tomorrow. Like I said, I've, <laughs> I've, 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 that's me. I've fully grown now. Like I'm, I'm well over it, well over it. And I just, as I say, as I got older, I was a lot more confident in terms of just being more comfortable rather in my own skin. Like I don't care what someone says because if I'm being selected, if I'm respected by my teammates and by my manager, I literally don't care what anybody else is saying. And that, you know, that carried me a, a long, long way across the 16 years. Good, good. Um, how did uh, just briefly? How did um, the arrival of Mancini change things when it came to, to media? I know, I because I, I, I know I know that was the point where you started to uh, where you lost your place in the team and then uh, yeah. ended up moving on. Um, did it? Did, did you notice a difference in in the media again when Mancini arrived? Um, I think so, but that, I think some of that started with the fact that we were further along in terms of the journey since the takeover, so the expectation was naturally higher, and he was somebody who came in with the highest level of expectation. But in fairness to him, one thing which he managed to do well, which which as a player was quite dicey, was at times with the press, he had great charisma and he was very well liked. He had the scarf on the sideline, he'd be doing swooping the hair. But like, it didn't necessarily, he wasn't that same person when it was on the training ground. Yeah. So the media standpoint, he was getting them on side. And I think for certain parts, it meant that if we did something wrong, it was our fault. If, if we did something right, it was down to his brilliance. So um, that was quite frustrating for a bit. But he, yeah. Uh, yeah, there were more. There were more eyes that were on. That were on us. But that's because I think within, well, Mark Hughes started the season two thousand and nine, maybe, and then, um, and then come springtime, we were in the semi-finals of the League Cup against Man United, and that's when Mancini was in charge. So immediately, like, this is the closeness to success now. And then the following year was when we won the when you guys won the the FA Cup. So the scrutiny was there because it was better. The signings were coming in were like. They were like we signed some really good players in the first bit, but then there was a difference going into that next bit, you know. So it felt different. It just felt that little bit different. Um, so yeah, the scrutiny was there because now people who were saying it was never going to work or you know this is a failure, like it was less of a failure because now it felt incredibly real because we can compete compete against absolutely anybody. Like then the start of the next season, we're in the Champions League and stuff like that. So you have to respect us more and treat us like one of those teams who are, who are up there year in, year out, because this is potentially what we're going to become. So there was more scrutiny, but he had something to do with it. But then also just the fact that the club was doing better and as a consequence had to be covered. Couldn't just gloss over us now because we are part of the talking points for the national sort of, um, I don't know, the national feel when it comes yeah. down to football. 
Yeah. Now, uh, this uh, I want to I want to kind of look now at your pivot into uh, doing punditry and, and and being in the media. I mean, this is this is your fault. This is entirely your <laughs> fault. Now, what what I'm going to say? Yeah. Because yeah. I, uh, since we've started talking and doing a few things together on podcasts, I have consistently started to think, what if the person I'm talking about hears this? Yeah. And I like for me the the chances of somebody that plays for City hearing anything that I've ever done are pretty much slim to nil. I accept. You never that. know. But that's the problem. Know. That's the problem. That like your little, you never know. That's still in the back of my head whenever I'm I'm being critical. <laughs> so I'm always minded now to not say to I, the two rules I have are to try and be fair and to not be mean. Mm. And I, I'm interested to kind of get get your take on doing that because a lot of the people that that you have to talk about now. You've played with and you know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's 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 right. Um, and I don't want to be. I think the phrase is like a homer, somebody who's always supporting a particular team. You know, I'm not the I'm not the Man City defender out there in the media. I'm not the player. I don't. I'm not working for the union, the players' union out in the media world. I'm not trying to do that. But I understand that at times when I was a player, you'd hear a lot of stuff about you, and a lot of it would be very unfair but you can't then just pop on a show and address it. You know what I mean? And then at this stage in terms of media now, there are so many different outlets for people to gain opinions and to, or sorry, to deliver opinions about people and about teams and stuff. And so as a consequence, all I try and be, all I try and be is fair. And I don't know somebody's intent, but I can judge some level of performance or whatever, because I think if someone doesn't play as well as they have done in the past, I'll say they've not played as well as that, but I won't say it's because he wants to leave. Yeah. I won't say, oh, it's because he's not interested in the club anymore and stuff he's, like his that. His head's not in the game. How do you know that? Yeah, Ex- Exactly. Yeah. There's tons of stuff that gets said. And I'm like, well, that's not true. Like the amount of times in the past where we've been criticised as a team for some of the teams I played for and they say, you can see the desire's not there. They don't want to do anything. Like as a pro, as soon as you go out there, you want to win games. But sometimes you get set up in a manner whereby you won't go and press from the get-go. You've been told to drop off and not go and press. So if you go and press, what you're doing is going you're undermining your manager. And if you're undermining your manager, what's the point of your manager being there? You know, you're trying to be respectful, trying to do things as a collective, but then when things go wrong, the criticism is always leveled at individuals saying they don't have a level of desire and stuff like this. Like football's football. Like no team wins every single game. No players, no player plays well every single week. Like for as much as Salah's on fire right now, in a month's time, he might not score for three, four games. For as much as say like, KDB or Sterling or whatever aren't at their absolute best now. Come the end of the season, they might be the two most important players. Like this is football in itself. And I'm trying to be as realistic as possible with everything that I say, I'm trying to provide insight, but not go over the top with just pure speculation about stuff, which isn't true. Because if you don't know the person, then you saying something about their character goes a lot further than them coming out and saying that it's wrong because they'll never get the opportunity to go and do that because that's not the way that they're being controlled by their football clubs who are their employers. That's not the way they're being controlled by the league who basically, you know, own the football clubs as such. So as I say, I try and be as fair as possible. If it is something is what it is, I like to use things which are objectively true, but still this industry is, you know, opinions are opinions and that's great, but there's a level of like subjectivity with certain things, which I don't like. Like uh, I was on, I do an ESPN show and I was on and we were talking before the Liverpool versus um, versus City game. And I was doing it remotely, but there were two guys in the studio and they were hammering City for five minutes, like hammering City. And I'm just like, I'm I'm speechless on the other side. I was thinking, what's going on here? Like, what? what, what, what? <laughs> and then the host said, oh, Nadim, have you got anything to say? So then they put me onto the screen. I'm like, well, where, where do I begin? Because what they were doing 
they were solely isolating the issues that they had with Man City, but they're never mentioning Liverpool's issues as well because every team has its issues at some level. But some of the stuff they were saying, they've said like, yeah, City haven't been defending great. They've been terrible at this, that and the other. Laporte did this and that guy did that. I'm like, City, you've got the joint best defensive record in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, but but they conceded three against this team. I'm like, yeah, but that was the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, but they, they did this. And it's like the yeah, but it's, pro- yeah. it's a proper yeah, but industry where you can present something which should, in theory, be taken seriously, which isn't because people have um, like a subconscious, I think a lot of people within it have a lot of like subconscious bias for or against certain things. And as a consequence, the stuff that they say is coming from that point and they say they're being fair, but they're not. And because they're far removed from the game, they don't care about consequence because it doesn't matter. The people don't matter. The people they're talking about don't matter. The clubs don't matter. But me as a whole, I think the whole football industry matters to me because I've just spent 16 years within it. I think there's a lot of people within it who are being treated unfairly by people in my situation. And they deserve, they deserve better. Like If you want to talk about the ills of City, also talk about the ills of Liverpool. Talk yeah. about the fact they just conceded three against Brentford the week before. You know, that's... That's the talking point. Yeah, but overall, no, they're this. Like, okay, but they did concede three. Like, we're talking about the league. This is the thing. I'm not saying either team's got a bad defence, but this, the numbers are there for you to see. This is what it is. But still, you know, that's the thing. And at times, yeah. it gets bad because it makes it seem like, sorry, I'm talking so much. It makes it seem like no, I'm, I'm the I'm... Man City defender. Like, I'm not defending City. I'm just trying to create, like, a fair talking point all across the board. Because if it counts for City... It counts for United, it counts for Liverpool, it counts for Chelsea, it counts for whatever. Like read into everything, not just what you choose to read into to, to agree with the narrative that you want to set yourself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my, my question for that, I guess, is if that, if that doesn't get through to the dressing room too much, then does it matter that that happens? Yeah, I think it does matter. I think it does matter, to be honest, yeah. Because when, um, I think let's put it this way. So in terms of players that we like and so on, if a player that we like is out, is, isn't is playing well, it means they're out of form. If a player that we don't like isn't playing well, it means they're not good enough. But when that narrative starts to grow, all of a sudden players receive more abuse and more criticism when they don't deserve it. And yeah. that can directly affect the way that they perform. Because, you know, I say that it doesn't always get into the dressing room, but when everybody's booing you or everybody's jeering you in your home stadium, away from home and everything like that, like that will affect you, you know, and even still, you shouldn't have to essentially go through that based on something which isn't even true, you know? So it does, for me, it does, it does matter. And I think overall, like, as is the case with say, um, as you've seen yourself with some of the podcast stuff that I do, like this football, as we see, as we've known it, and then there's football when the people within it talk about it honestly and openly. And I think the actual real game of football is far more interesting than the game of football, which is spoken about by people who are a long way away from it. Like, it's yeah. not the reality of the situation. So why not just be like, why don't, like, sorry, I'm, I've, you've triggered me so much here. Like, <laughs> good, I'm, good, I'm good. Off, I'm fully off on it because, like, it's, you don't, no person really has enough time to be able to see every single game that they play, that is played in the Premier League. Yet still, they have huge opinions about certain people and players at clubs, but they don't watch the games. But where are those opinions and stuff coming from? Is that, from this industry. Is you that because I mean? we have to have an opinion about everything? Well, it's because opinions are being delivered about everything. Yeah. And as a consequence, other people are latching onto them because maybe it suits what they want to say. Like, this is how I want to feel. I want to align with this. Like, when the game's finished, let's go and look for a reaction somewhere. But look how quickly people look for a reaction after a team's lost, as opposed to one when a team's won. 
you know, oh yeah, damn furious. I'm furious. And it's because this guy missed the chance. He's not good enough. He don't, he said he wanted to leave. He's not good enough. He's this, he's that. And like, it's, it's nonsense. I think if we can have more real conversations about football, I think there'll be a greater level of like understanding from fans about the game itself. And when they watch a game, they watch for things that matter as opposed to things which people are saying are going to happen because it's not a, it's literally like, it's nonsense. Some of the, like at times I do, I'm in there feeling like a player because some of the stuff they say is complete nonsense. It's yeah. com like, I, I say it directly now, it's nonsense. Yet still, lots of people like nodding their heads around it. It's like, yeah, yeah, I agree with this. I agree with blah, blah, blah. It's because football is like just built on a bed of cliches which serve no purpose and no benefit to everybody because it makes people unhappier overall when they go and watch games because then the worst bits of football are things which get spoken about the most. Yeah. And as a consequence, you know, what is your, what is the real experience for the viewer? If they've been conditioned to think that this is this and that's that when the reality is it really isn't. Yeah. I feel really guilty now as well, because uh, <laughs> all that happens is uh, every week when me and Sam sit down to do this podcast, if City have had a bad result at the weekend, it's, we'll talk about the game. If it's not, unlike this weekend, it was a routine win. I text you, I te I text you and said, there was nothing really interesting from the game. Let's just talk about this. <laughs> just, that's, just where, that's just where we're at in terms of society. You know what I mean? Like the negative stuff is like, it gets more clicks, gets more listens, gets more people interested because it's like dissecting what went wrong. But then like, it's football. Like it's literally football. Like teams concede. Like everybody's been talking about City needing a new number nine. Like, and it doesn't matter what side of the fence you sit on, it's fine, whatever. But an argument that can go in the bin is when City didn't have a shot on target against Southampton. Two weeks later, Paris Saint-Germain with Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria didn't have a shot on target in Ligue 1. So do they need a nine as well? Do they need a new nine? <laughs> or is it just football? Like, and this is what happens sometimes. You know what I mean? With City, as someone once said, if something goes wrong, it's the end of the world. But for other people, say, so, well, you know, that was the exception. But City is never the exception. You know, that's the rule. Yeah, see, this is this is it. And they'll yeah. wait as long as it needs for them to be able to deliver a take on them. And obviously, I'm talking from the perspective of a Man City fan in Manchester that does a lot of work around Man City. So I can't say the specifics of other teams. But like, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, football is football. You're not playing against mugs every single week. It's literally the Premier League the Champions League and as a consequence like anything can happen but it yeah. so just shows how good teams are when the thing that happens is you winning more often than not this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm interested in the narratives uh, angle as well because uh, the the criticism I see a lot as um, from uh, again around Twitter and around Facebook and and around um, how the the talk of how pundits talk on television and on radio. I quite often see things like um, 
Oh well, such a such a pundit is is really good. Except they've bought into the Sky narrative. There, they've they've started to say what Sky want them to say, or they've started to say what Talk Sport want them to say. Mm. And so I, I'm kind of interested, having seen how radio programs, TV shows, you know, that sort of stuff are, are put together. Um, does it change your view about where these opinions come from? Because like, I'm I'm guessing that nobody because nobody's going to tell you to go on and say, oh, say this about this player or this club. It, it, they're they're going to be honestly held opinions, aren't they? Um, to a certain extent, yes. To a certain extent, yes. I think there are some people in the media who go on to try and rile up certain groups of people. Like, that's just what they do. But they try and say it as if that's their opinion. Like, some of the people who are the most controversial, they're not really that controversial in real life. They're just performing, basically. But um, I think one thing which gets, which I've noticed more from being on this side now, is that all these shows are basically created by the producers, so if a producer says we have 10 topics which we're going to talk about and these are the topics, here are the questions, like the the host or the guest can say, can we talk about this, can we talk about that? But the vast majority of it is being created by somebody else and their whole role is to make sure that people listen. So if they're coming from a place whereby they want controversy, like they'll, they'll find a guest that will bring said opinion which will fall with the narrative. Yeah. You know, and that's the... and that's narr- It's not necessarily... I say narrative, it's not the narrative, but for this show, like... If we, if, I, if this week, if you if you're on a TV show or whatever, and you want to talk about Man United, are they going to present it in a way whereby we're going to try and find the fairness of Man United, or is it going to be about the failures of Manchester United? So who can we bring on to talk about the failures of Manchester United, and then off off they pop? You know what I mean? Yeah. Same way, like when Ronaldo first signed, who can we bring on to say how great he is? Not somebody to say like you know it might be a bit tricky for him, blah blah blah, because that's not what they feel like. That's not what people want to hear. So people that's not the narrative. In. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. I think they try and get, in some ways, some shows, because it's, it varies, it really, really varies. But then sometimes you can find shows whereby you can have a narrative, but bring on people with opposing views on it, and then they can debate it. And I think they're the good shows. You know, I enjoy being on those, but for some of the other ones, like, off you pop, right, we're going to talk, spend this week talking about this, and here's a specific question. Is it all over for this team now that they've not won? Is it all this, is it all that? And then to relate that to City... Because City didn't have a significant standing in the Premier League in those early years, nobody's grown up essentially having a real strong bond for City and their level of success. So when it comes down to, say, big games and stuff like that, like they will get credit from a lot of people, but nights at the Etihad don't sound the same as nights <laughs> at Anfield or nights at St James's or nights at Old Trafford. You know what I mean? These great nights at Stamford Bridge, you know, they like that. They like their history. You know, they'd say they're adapting to more modern times, but they like their history and they can have more feeling towards a place which they've been to a ton of times and had more high-level experiences with. Whereas with City and to a certain extent with the Etihad in those early years, like, they didn't have that. So when they go there, they don't feel the same way as, oh, look, there's Anfield, like, great stadium in the world, the atmosphere's going to be this. And, you know, that's a great experience. But you're not there to sort of tell everybody how great an experience this is and how like this is the best place in the world because it's a place for you to go and watch football and to you for you to be able to objectively watch a game and then afterwards subjectively talk about what you thought about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But still, people look forward to certain days because I'm going to Anfield and I love Anfield. But what chance have you got then when you go into Anfield and you say you love Anfield and there's going to be a game played by Liverpool with 40,000 people cheering for Liverpool like... You've got a soft spot already. So what does that mean? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm using Liverpool as an example and it doesn't affect everyone. But when it does start to affect people, it's like you need them to like snap out of it and just talk about it for what it is. You know what I mean? Instead of saying, having the hate for the new because you love the old, just see it for the now and deal with it as the now. 
Yeah. So having having seen City in relation with the media, having seen that pre-takeover and post-takeover at City, and now from the media side of things, are City treated differently in that sense because of that? Um. At this point now, any like media people are going to be listening so hard. Like, <laughs> let's see what he's going to say. Let's see what he's going to say. I think there are certain instances and certain people who don't like Man City, and whenever they can let it be known, they'll let it be known. And I would say that maybe they're like that with other teams, but for some, it's easier to be like that with City. Like it's not everyone. It's not every show. It's not every like platform or whatever. But some people don't like City based on how they got to be where they are today and how it goes against the traditions of like the Premier League or whatever. So some people like they get the listen, City get a ton of coverage globally and all that stuff yeah. because they're one of the biggest clubs in the world now. But some people that I've seen across the last like nine months or so, they seem to enjoy the failure more than the success. But it shouldn't necessarily be a job to do that. Like for me, Every time I speak, there are a ton of there are a ton of individuals in teams who I really don't like, but I try and be fair, I try and call it for how it is. You know what I mean? Like I'll say, like there's a derby game coming up. You know, United have got this, they've got this great play and so on. But I I hope I'd prefer I'd say I prefer it if City win. But United are a good team, blah, blah, blah. That's what I'd say, because yeah. that's factually what it is. Right. Now if I was off air. But deep down, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen, every time City win United lose, that's like an extra half point in the league. Like that feels great <laughs> to me. Well, I try and be fair. You know what I mean? Because when I'm out there, I'm, it's not just City fans listening. It's not just United fans listening. Like it's the collective. And if you're not fair to the collective, then, you know, the bias that you have turns into the bias that they have. So I'm very wary of that. So I think at times it can be different because some people just haven't bought into City because like City is something, City as a force or something which has arrived in the later part of their life as opposed to something that they grew up loving or say as a casual, just watching the Premier League and seeing like United do well or seeing like Liverpool at Anfield or whatever. So because City don't have that history in their heart, then I think at times people do have a sort of subconscious negative bias at times. And I stress at times, but those times tend to be key times because it means that they're blinded by certain things and they're willing to run with it, especially given like they have a manager who is different and a style of play, which is different. So yeah, at times, like there is a, there is a bias there from some people and some platforms. Some people know that they're doing it and others just do it without even realizing. But then what's the role of uh, someone like me or others like to challenge it? Call it for what it is as opposed to what you want it to be. Yeah. So, I mean, because the, the, the question that me and Sam, me and Sam did a podcast must be um, getting on for six, eight months ago now uh, in the back end of last season. Um, that was basically along the lines of does Guardiola get the credit he deserves? Because the question always becomes... You know, you look at what he's done for City and how and how City play under him and the titles he's won. The answer is always, yeah, but they've spent a lot of money. And it, it always feels like that's the circular narrative that surrounds City. So I, I'd like to ask you the question as well. Do you think Guardiola gets the credit he deserves from from what he's achieved at City? Um, I would say yes and no. I think, like, he'll mention it himself. Like, the, the squad that City have assembled has cost money but they've recruited well because other teams are spending money, but you'd argue that they're not recruiting as well as say City have done in the past. But all the teams who are up at the top, they're spending money. But the difference is like at times, you know, City have spent more. If this guy's cost a hundred million, like Jack Grealish, there, there are more teams than one that could have spent a hundred million on Jack Grealish, but City did it. So now it's like, oh, City doing it again. You know what I mean? Like there's more to it than that. But I think overall, like when you look at, I think Pep will be appreciated more from 
the masses after you eventually leave City? Because I wonder who takes the job next and whatever we'll see. Will it be as good as, say, the peaks that we've seen at City? Because I think when City have been rolling at their absolute best when he's been in charge, I think it's some of the best football I've seen in my life. Yeah, And I think some people will call it that when they're rolling, when things are going well. But when things aren't going as well, why, mate, he's too quirky, he's too this, he's too that, he's too whatever. But find a comparison for him. Find a, a guy who's come to a club for this period of time in recent years. I think who, apart from, say, maybe a club who's basically made a club their own and played in a fashion which hasn't been seen before, which has brought some of the best football you've ever seen, some of the best players. And like a... a like. He's a disruptor because now we're seeing stuff which we've never seen before, but it's working. And he keeps saying, ah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It keeps working. It's worked consistently for a long time now. So I don't think he, I think he does get credit when things are going well and they put on a show, like a showstopper of a performance. Like when they're beating teams 7 8 nil, like week in, week out, like, oh, they're incredible. This manager's incredible. The players are incredible. Or like they go to Chelsea and they play the way they are incredible. But then it's those other games where like, you know, they're playing Southampton, so they must win 9-0. That has to be the way. Like, every game's different. And one thing about City and Pep, like, they'll bring out the best game in every team that they play. So their task, in my opinion, is a bit harder than most teams because most other teams don't get themselves geared up for the same way they would do as to when they play against Man City. But yeah, Pep, I think it's a, I think it's a yes and no. I think it's a yes and no. Yeah, um, that's a perfectly level-headed answer that I'd expect from you. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Um, I suppose to, to finish on then, Nedum, I, like, should City fans ultimately should they care what what people are saying about the club? Should they should they care that they open that they see the back pages of the newspapers and it's and it's a perceived negative story that they, that what the pundits are saying on telly doesn't tally up with their experience as a fan because they I mean ultimately they can switch it off and there's plenty of good podcasts out there where we all talk about City in a really I think really nice and fair light. Mm. Um, and they go to the games, they watch the games, they experience what they experience from City as a fan. So. Mm. Like if if people don't agree with them, that's fine, isn't it? If it's if it if it, if it's kind of switched off and in the background, and you don't, and it's no, you know, it's not affecting how the team play. It doesn't affect how they engage with the club. Does it? Does it matter? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start by saying I, I'm never going to be the guy to tell all City fans what to do, or just any, <laughs> any. I can barely tell my family what to do on a day to day basis. So I'm not going to extend beyond that. But in terms of media and stuff, I think somebody needs to ask. You need to ask yourself the question: like, what do you want? How do you want to see your your team covered? If you want to see them covered in a positive manner all the time, then look more sort of like something closer to City itself. Like whether you're watching a match day live show or whether you're watching like a City type podcast um, of say like in this theme company or something on YouTube, you know, that's where you'll get some positive City stuff. If you want something that feels like slightly less biased and closer towards debate like, then go find some radio show or something whereby people are debating amongst people who might be pro or might be against and will have a genuine talk about it. But if you if you've seen Sky or whatever for the years that you've seen Sky, like they can do analysis and stuff like that. But like Vodja respect, like Gary Neville's Gary Neville. Like that's Gary Neville of Man United and he can say he's being fair and at times he is, but within him he wants he doesn't he, like why does he want City to do well? So you won't get that same pull that you would find from somebody who wants City to do well. So if that's what you want to see then you know, see that. But I think the beauty of this moment in history is the fact that there are tons of different mediums for you to be able to re- find whatever you want. And the biggest one of all, as you mentioned, is the one where you just tune out and just have your own re- reality and opinion about the game itself. But it's 
it's tough. You the, you take it all in. You see, you can get a feel for what is what at any particular time. And some like I, I used to be the guy who said there was no bias and stuff like that, but there is bias because I, I like I hear some of the stuff off air that people say, and I'm like, dearie me, like this is nuts. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just say just decide for yourself what do you really want and if you can then find that then you won't feel as unhappy as you would do in terms of arriving somewhere like say if you want like i I taught i got taught this myself at times at times i stress at times because i'm trying not to get cancelled in my media career by the media people (laughs) but at times say someone at talksport might want a reaction from somebody so then they might call somebody up to get said reaction that they want which will then rile up a set of people and stuff like that you know what i mean so that's why i don't really go down that route like I have, I did, I've done a couple of things, but I've never gone down that route because I try and be as fair as possible all across the board. So as I say, it's just taking the medium media that you want and from the people that you want. And if you want bias, you can find bias. If you want neutrality, you can find neutrality. If you want something that's a bit leaning for City, then go that way. Or if you lose a game and you want something leaning against City, there'll be tons of that. So you just get a feel for it and you know make a decision, but then don't be unhappy if you tune into something that seems to be against it, because you don't have to tune in. You can just watch a game. And best of all, like just watch it on mute <laughs> because yes. you know, that might be the best possible experience for you sometimes. Yeah. But just do what I, what, what I say is, uh, is always listen to city podcasts, but you know, maybe, maybe I've got an interest in that. Who knows? Well, well <laughs> you could, you could say that. Yeah. You could say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of why always us. Thanks as ever to Nedham and Nedham, it's been, it's been fascinating. So I, uh, I really appreciate you hopping on at the last minute. No worries at all. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people atting me on Twitter, giving their opinion, and I'll try and respond to as many as possible. But yeah, Please, let's see yeah. how this goes. What, what is it? Kickback underscore Nadam on Twitter? That's the exact place where you can sometimes find me if you're delivering good takes. Cold <laughs> takes will get ignored. I'll tell you that as a fact. Excellent. That'll be why you never reply to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, join us again next week. In the meantime, don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic right now with a 33% discount. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic.